episode. We got some awesome people here hanging out. Got Mr. Chris Catlett, Thomas, Max is here, Duff is here, Old Salty is here. How you doing? And we have Thus Ain't the Law. Eighth? Man, I don't know. I, I, I wish I knew how to pronounce that. Anyways, we're going to be talking all about things I wish that I knew before I got into 3D printing. And we have Victoria here as well. She apparently demands attention right as we're starting recording. That's okay. Appreciate everybody stopping by. Like the video if that is your sort of thing. Subscribe if you haven't. And if you are listening on audio only, uh... I think there's like a rating system or something. I honestly don't understand audio-only podcasts. I'm sorry. Uh, I try my best, though. I try my best to give you guys something fun every single week. But thank you all for showing up. We have some more awesome people here hanging out. Avanja is here. Simon Snow. Uh, David is here. Beatles. Cubers here. 3D Medic Vince and Christian Bureau. So let's dive right into it. Part of getting into 3D printing is that you're going to make some mistakes. And uh, there are some things that I wish that I knew. A lot of this came from a chat that I had yesterday, almost four and a half hours that I spent with somebody uh, fixing their bamboo P1P. Uh, TLDR had a broken uh, had a broken nozzle. Uh, the, the heat break had bent pretty bad, about a 15 degree bend on it. And uh, we also put an AMS on it and a couple of other things. There, there, there was a bunch of other work to do. And uh, there was uh, some, some data that they had that we attempted to recover. We actually were successful in recovering that data. Uh, I just felt like I was in a helping mood apparently. But um, yeah, it, it was interesting because this person had, uh, let's just say they, they were given a 3D printer and they weren't expecting it. And so they've been using it. They had a bamboo P1P. And it had been working right up until the point that it stopped working. And because they didn't have any training and there aren't a lot of classes out there yet, they didn't know what to do. So they called us. And I was happy to help, right? Brought over some spare parts since I didn't know if they had any spare parts. And uh, we made it work, right? We made it work. Ultimately, that's that's kind of our job. But uh, the printer is running. I got a text this morning saying the parts that we ran overnight printed successfully. So that's always a good thing to hear. We do, of course, really like that. Um, but it was interesting because there were some lingo things that I wish we had known. And me personally, I wish that I could go through this process again. Right? Because the things that I wish that I knew when I first started was very different than the things that I would wish that I would know now before I started. So I, I think it's important for us to talk about both of those things eh, because they're a little bit different here between them. So when I first started, you couldn't just go buy a 3D printer for Micro Center. You couldn't, well, maybe you could. I don't know. The closest Micro Center to me is a 16-hour round trip. So uh, I couldn't go buy one for Micro Center. I doubt that they, I doubt that well, I don't even think Creality existed when I started. I started in 2008. Um, so, you know, little bit, little bit earlier than Creality, I believe. But, um, you know, realistically, what I knew, what I wish I knew back then is that uh, 
I needed a good source of the hardware, whether that is nuts and bolts, the linear rails and that kind of thing. Nowadays, it's not a problem because 3D printers have become such a ubiquitous thing that is made. And these linear rails are made for other objects that are produced commercially that they're easy to obtain from the, you know, usual suspects when it comes to buying things. Um, but back then, we didn't have access to that stuff. So how did we get linear rails and everything? We had to salvage them out of like either enterprise grade work or something like that. We, we had to salvage this equipment. Had I known that when I got involved with wanting to build my own printer, I probably would have never done it. Because, yeah, it was a pain. And honestly, it didn't work very well. Back then we were happy if printers just pooped out plastic with a one or two millimeter accuracy. You know, we were making hot ends with nichrome wire and a bolt and some fine drill bits. Like it was, it was bad. And as Duff says, the good old, the good old days when hot ends looked like prison shanks. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's legit. They really did. They were crazy dangerous. And we were using bang, bang back then. We weren't using PID because PID controllers weren't as ubiquitous as they are now. It wasn't until the ramps board came out that everything got a little bit better because the ramps board just, they just worked like comparatively, they just worked. And that is super cool. And I love seeing that. But now with, you know, commercial 3D printers that you can just buy off the shelves, dude, this is this has become so much more affordable from the 3D printing perspective that looking at some of the effort that we need to fix printers, it doesn't even make sense to have a printer repair shop anymore because the cost involved in fixing a printer is so high that you might as well just buy another printer. Now, there's a whole discussion to be had about throwing away a 3D printer or the whole idea that a 3D printer is a disposable asset, even for a consumer. There's a whole discussion to be had there. I don't think it's appropriate for this talk. Maybe that's next week. I don't know. Uh, mods, if you're listening, toss that into the Making Awesome podcast channel in the Discord. That might not be a bad idea for next week. Um, just kind of talking about commoditization and what that means for the afterlife of a 3D printer, right? <clears throat> because, like, we standardized on Purusha many years ago uh, here at the shop, and if I wanted to continue to upgrade my machines, we have Mark 3Ss behind me. If I wanted to upgrade those machines to Mark 4s, I could. I probably won't because outside of just you know, the pure necessity, or maybe if I can get Prusa to sponsor a video of us doing upgrades. Um, I don't see a purpose. I think the 3.5 is a great option for those that want input shaping on the Mark III, but maybe don't need everything that comes with the Mark IV. Um, it's a problem that newer companies just don't address, right? Oh, we, we launched a new product. Well, buy another printer. There isn't an upgrade path for you. Um, and you can add upgrades to the machines, but some brands will completely void your warranty. 
if you had one to begin with. Uh, and some of them will start to blame the user for problems rather than the hardware. And so those are those things are a little bit different now than it used to be. Previous upgrading a 3D printer, that was just part of what you did. L let me explain. The first 3D printer that I ever built, all the components for it were made of wood. We carved it out of wood because we didn't have a 3D printer to make it out of plastic. So we had to first make it out of wood. Then the next thing you had to do was print the wood parts in plastic. The plastic was normally quite a bit more accurate and you were able to swap them. And especially here in Florida, where it's quite humid, wood will expand and contract with various humidity changes where plastic doesn't have so much of that problem. Um, the old thingomatic that I used to run at, uh, at a museum where I, I worked at a local science museum, that thing would print so much worse in the morning when the humidity was really high because there's like dew on the ground and such than it would once the air conditioner got going inside the museum, dried everything out. It was much better toward the end of the day because the wood was shrinking back down and it was coming back into tolerance. Uh, it was that bad back in the day. And the Thingomatic was an off-the-shelf kit 3D printer. Like, yeah, okay, you couldn't go buy it at a Walmart, right? And it was pretty damn expensive. But, but, um, it worked, right? And that is part of the deal that we needed. We needed something that just worked, especially for a science museum. You couldn't have a, you know, a Darwin or a Mendel in a science museum that was making parts for the general public. You couldn't do it. They weren't, there wasn't the safety measures that came with an off-the-shelf machine. Uh, Duff says next thing Grant's going to say he he went uphill both ways. My freshman year of college, I did because you had to go through a valley to get to your classes. So it was downhill both ways, too, but it was also uphill both ways. So got him. Um, so technically, I'm correct. And that, uh, for those of you that will remember, is the best kind of correct. But I wish back then that I knew the challenges that were going to come up and the things that we didn't expect, right? Like you don't necessarily expect that your wooden parts are going to expand quite a bit to cause problems. That's not a problem we have to deal with anymore. Heck, I wish I knew the proper way to assemble a hot end. I didn't learn how to assemble a hot end until not very long ago, it was probably five years ago that I actually learned how to properly assemble a hot end. And it, it's stupid because I'm used to building hot ends from scratch. I'm not used to building them, you know, with like four parts, right? I'm not used to putting a V6 together because I didn't have V6s. Um, for a while, we used Wanhao printers because they were cheap. Right, Wanhao was the Creality before Creality was a thing. Or I guess Creality was a thing. But Wanhao was the better version of Creality. Let me describe to you what we got in 2016 for 400 bucks. We got an i3. I think they were... How big is that printer? I still have one, so I can like look back at it. I think it's 220 by 220 by 220. I could be wrong, but it was a Wanhao duplicator i3. So it was a Wanhao di3. Uh, that's what a lot of people knew them as. It had a direct drive extruder, a Mark 8 
or Mark Mark Eight or Mark Ten. It was an, it was a direct drive extruder with an with a PTFE lined hot end, but it was direct drive. It was an all metal frame construction. It had linear rails and ball bearings everywhere. It had belts and motors, but it used springs to keep those belts at tension. So if you tried to run it beyond about 40 millimeters a second, the inertia from the printer moving would actually cause that spring to stretch a little bit. And you would you would see it in your prints when you'd be doing like round objects and that kind of thing. But, you know, that was what we had for 400 bucks back then. When you compare it to what you can get for 400 bucks now, obviously that printer's garbage. I keep it around because it's good to remember where we came from. Um, but it's funny because Creality, when they, when the, when the Ender 3 first got popular, um, it was about 400 bucks. And it was not direct drive. It didn't use linear rails. Like, it was very funny to me that they that the Ender caught so much love from the community, yet it was objectively worse than the Duplicator i3. Now, the, the i3 had problems. Because it was all bent sheet metal frame, it was very flexible. Like the Z-axis, you could, you could bend the Z-axis with your bare hands. So there were uh, upgrades that you could build on it that would use threaded rod to uh, triangulate that... Um, that whole side, there were the first, the first generation of the I3s had fire hazard problems where they did not have thermal runaway protection. And so if you had one with the flat front screen versus the angled screen, your flat front screen were fire hazards. The angled screens were safer. They used fully custom circuit boards. They used what's called a Melzy board, um, you know, versus uh, a ramps board or something like that. So yeah, it was, um, it was kind of a weird time, and I, I wish I knew what PLA smelled like. I wish I knew the smell of burning PLA, because I would have been able to detect the multiple times that our Gen 1 duplicator i3s thermally ran away. Uh, that was, that was a thing. I'm like, what's that weird smell? I'm like, Oh, that's a burning smell. Oh God, there's a printer. Uh, and you know, you reset the printer and the thermistor is reading like 480 C. You're like, Oh, that's not good. Oh, that's not good. But the only other options for decent printers back then, which hilariously I, I still have, uh, oh, back there, Lulzbot Task 6. That was like my first, that was my first non-industrial expensive 3D printer. And it's why I haven't gotten rid of it, because it was so expensive. It's like, God, that printer was expensive. And because it used three millimeter filament, the standard of 175 that we had had for so long in the shop was no longer a standard. We had to get three millimeter filament. You know, understanding the basic properties of plastic would be something that I wish that I knew. Understanding where PLA starts to get soft, understanding where PETG gets soft, understanding that ABS is a terrible plastic and I shouldn't be using it and the challenges that I faced with trying to use ABS because it is what I've been using the entire time was bad and I should look at running PLA more often because the vast majority of people don't need ABS. In fact, they barely need PLA. Those kind of knowledge bases would help me better get what I needed. 
back then filament was still pretty expensive every now and then we were able to get brands on ebay that were pretty cheap uh i'm gonna say a brand name we'll see how many people here remember it excelvin excelvin do i still have i do uh i don't it's not easily accessible damn it uh, I have a bunch of three millimeter Excelvin filament still. And the funny thing is it's so old. I have to put it in a dryer to warm it up for it to work. Cause three millimeter was very prone to snapping. Whereas one seven five just isn't, uh, it is, it does have some risk, but three millimeter brand new rolls will snap on you because there's so much tension in it. Um, you know, I wish that, uh, I wish that we had a better understanding back in the day versus what we have now there. Like the knowledge of, Oh, I can just go get PLA wasn't a thing back then. We were making our own filament through 2017. Yeah. Now as I have a Philostruder, uh, it was slow, but so were the printers. It was loud, but so were the printers. Uh, and it wasn't very accurate. Well, so were the printers. And so it, it worked fine. Like I had no issues with it and we were making rainbow filament before it was cool. Um, but man, taking 24 plus hours to make a kilo of filament. I can burn through a kilo of filament on most of our printers in less than 24 hours, uh, especially these high speed printers like the bamboo and the chidi and assumingly the Voron when we finish it, it's, uh, it's kind of crazy to look and say, well, I can just buy a brand new spool on Amazon and it's to me overnight. It is to me from another county, potentially another state, faster than I could have produced it not 10 years ago. That's kind of crazy when you when you think back and look at it. Uh, I kind of dig it, right? It, it shows how the industry has changed. But having that basic knowledge of the plastics would really assist newbies in understanding what works where. Um, as old salty says, PLA got a bad rap in the beginning. No one wanted to use it because it was considered weak. And I don't know why. Um, we used it all the time. Um, in fact, I had parts hanging outside in our shop for years. Um, yeah. back when Pokemon go was a thing, uh, we found a way to make our shop at least reasonably close to a gym. So people would just naturally go to it and they would hang out in our shop because you could access the gym from the shop. We had air conditioning. It's Florida. Uh, we had, we hung the, uh, the Pokemon go symbols on the banner outside of our shop. We printed them in PLA. They lasted for years, eventually a hurricane took them out, and it was only because it broke the wire that was holding them up. We never did find those parts. I don't think we did. I think we found one of them. Uh, the other ones are just gone. Um, but yeah, because we live in Florida, temperature resistance was a big deal. And we proved that you could leave uh, PLA out on the sidewalk or even on asphalt for hours and it was fine as long as the PLA wasn't a dark color dark colors will absorb more heat and that will cause it to warp that sucks but there are ways to fix it um yeah it's like kind of crazy when we when we kind of look at the differences between now and then um PLA did get such a bad rap and it never deserved any of it
yes, PLA can melt in a car, but like you could also bake cookies on the dash of most cars in Florida. So PETG is also going to get soft. Heck, ABS will often get soft. Um, it, it's it's kind of it's kind of weird. Um, yeah. Mike from Neverlip Machines, when it is reminding you to like the video, which you should do, but he's also saying he doesn't notice the smell of PLA that you're probably concerned. I have noticed that some companies have PLA that smells more than others. My assumption is that the master batch that they're using kind of deletes the smell. Um, I'm not 100% sure on that, so do not quote me. I don't know for sure. Um, but I do believe that in most cases... PLA is detectable. It should smell sweet. Um, especially like we run mostly uh, printed solid material here. Uh, yeah, Steve, I was just going to get there. Printed, uh, uh, Steve Bill says Jesse Filament for some reason is the best smelling. It totally is. Unless it is the neon pink that has a really weird smell, but that's the master batch. Because Dave uses Inigo 4043D, like the proper raw PLA, it has such a sweet smell to it. And I can attest from being on their filament line, working to make filament. That was an awesome video. Mods, if you want to toss the video of us making what I want to call Jesse Silver Fox... I don't know if we're going to get Dave to do that, but I do want it to be called Jesse Silver Fox. But mods, if you do want to post that video, do. Um, you know, that whole line smells so sweet. Uh, now, should we be concerned when we can smell the plastics? Maybe. Right? That smell is a VOC, a volatile, a volatile organic compound. It is a VOC. Um... That is something that you should worry about. But if you are getting used to it, that's something that I would worry more about. Depending on the brand, like, I don't notice a Polymaker PLA has any smell. Like, none. Um, even their ASA, somehow, doesn't actually have a big smell. <clears throat> it's kind of crazy. Um, but I, I, I do wish I knew what the plastic smelled like and why. So... You know, I wish I had that knowledge because I, I think I would have made a lot less mistakes back in the day than I do now. Right? Is that the right way to say it? Whatever. I'm rolling with it. <laughs> Come on, Miss Kitty. Come on. You're either going to jump up or you're going to... All right. You're just going to stay down there, I guess. Okay. <sighs> the networking guy says, I'm hoping to make some more friends who are filament manufacturers while at Rocky Mountain Rep Rap. I need to find a good purple. Um, I really like the deep purple from Printed Solid. Is that what they call it? They call it deep purple? I think they do. Uh, yeah. I would... I would wish that I would know basic bed cleaning and preparation as a first-timer. Right? Knowing how to properly clean your build plate. Okay, I guess we're just going to run into the microphone. Knowing how to properly clean your build plate and keep your printer clean is a big deal, right? Um, knowing to, you know, wipe down the rails if you see residue, knowing how to re-lubricate bearings if that's your kind of thing, knowing how to, you know, just basic printer maintenance would be an amazing thing to know before you buy a printer. 
um, you know, understanding how to clean a build plate, right? And understanding what a dirty build plate looks like. Because some people won't clean their build plates before every print. We do. We use we use Windex. In fact, it's right there behind me. Uh, we use Windex. I think it's even the generic Windex. It doesn't matter. As long as it's a window cleaner, it seems to work just fine on PEI, on glass, on PEO, on any surface that I've tried. Windex seems to do a great job or your generic version of glass cleaner seems to work really, really well. It cleans oils, it cleans streaks off, but to also know that you need to scrub your build plates with dish soap and water when you get them. Heck, I forgot to do that for my XL. Now, it didn't solve my bed adhesion issues, so we're, we're still working on that. But, uh, yeah, it's like... If, if people knew how to clean build plates, we would see you less Print Fix Friday episodes with, hey, I can't get my prints to stick, levels of problems. We obviously don't want that. So how do we solve it? Solve it by cleaning your build plate properly and not touching it. So, yeah. It's something to note, right? And these basic things are pretty simple to learn. But the newbies have to search for it. And it's where this problem of seeking knowledge comes in. That's something that I wish I knew as well. How to properly seek knowledge is one of the most difficult things in this industry. Because there isn't a well-regarded wiki for what different things mean and why. With colloquial terms, plus terms people might use, plus, you know other things it's like there's no way to know if you're searching for the right thing unless you know the term that you're searching for right so if you know that your prints aren't sticking because your z offset isn't right you can search for z offset but if you just search for prints are not sticking to bed you're probably not going to find something talking about Z offset. You're likely going to find something talking about having a dirty build plate. And if you just keep cleaning your build plate and you don't adjust your Z offset, chances are your prints are not going to stick any better than they did prior. So you might sit there and get really frustrated. So understanding what certain things can look like and why would be a huge thing that I wish that I knew and wish that anybody would know when they first started. If you don't have that knowledge, you're going to just simply pound your head against a concrete wall trying to figure out what's going on. And that level of frustration equals a lot of people throwing up their hands and saying, F it, I don't care anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. This industry sucks. I don't like it. And in a lot of cases, I can't blame them. It sucks. It sucks to try to search for something that you don't know what it is. I find myself dealing with this with Fusion 360 where I'm trying to do something, I don't know how to do it, and it's a monumental pain in my ass. I don't understand what I'm doing sometimes, and I know I'm not alone. And if I don't understand what I'm doing, then I can't properly search for it because I don't know what's going on. It's a weird problem. And it's something that I wish I could solve. I have an idea using like a L LLM or something like that, that you can prompt and it can give you advice. 
I'm not so sure that's a good move either, because if it's not trained properly, it's going to give bad advice and all that. It's why we continue to do Print Fix Friday. My hope is that more people see those videos, more people send us print fix, uh, print fails, and we can help them. Because part of the deal is education. It's not just giving the answer. Education, to me, is the most important part of all of this. It's, um, yeah, it's a big deal. Uh, Max Harnish is asking level equal tram. Yes. So people knowing that the technical term is tram, but most people are going to say level. So you have to know one, what the difference between level and tram are. Tram is just leveling in multi-axis. Leveling is just in one, all of them. Um, tramming is the multi-axis. But if you don't know that, you might see someone saying you need to tram your bill plate and wonder what the hell that means. And maybe you search for it, maybe you don't. We have an industry where people want the answer, they don't want the knowledge. And that, to me, is a problem for the 3D printing community. I don't want people to just get answers. I want people to get knowledge. That knowledge is part of the deal here. Because if you don't have that knowledge, then when someone comes to you and asks a question because they have a new 3D printer and you've been printing for a little bit, you might not know how to help them. And then the both of you are stuck with this, you know, problem child, if you will. Um, so, yeah. <sighs> I don't know what, um, I don't know the right move, I guess, right? I'm not, uh, I don't really know how to fix that problem. It's a, uh, it's, it's an interesting problem. It pretty much requires somebody to really, really care about it to want to learn more, right? Uh, Matthew Despa is saying, you see that same problem surrounding CNCs all the time. People want to plug and play and not learn the language and why it does what it does. But at the same time, you can go to Haas and get training on Haas mills for free. It's totally free. It's all online. But last I did it, it was totally free. And that's really freaking cool. I want to be able to learn that stuff before I buy a machine. Because I want to know how to work on it. It's why I recommend kits. It's why I don't like that you can just go buy a 3D printer that works perfectly off the shelf. I want that kit experience for these people because it's the learning experience that you need to be able to service your own machine. It's part of the deal. The terms are a big deal. Also, I, if I remember correctly, we can give away memberships. I don't actually know how to do it, but YouTube told me that we now have the ability to give out memberships. I wonder if I have to be watching the video too. Let me see, because we should give out five memberships during this stream. Let me see. Let me see if I can do it this way. I might have to do it like watching the actual video. Uh, let's see. Because that's what I want to do. Ah, 
Yes. Okay. I have to be. That's ridiculous. Uh, all right. Membership gifting. No, that's not the way I want to do it. Uh, membership. No, I guess I still, am I not, is it not unlocked for me yet? I guess it's not. Okay. I was going to try to, you can do it in your interface with the money button. I tried that. It didn't, uh, I, I all I can do on the, on the back end in YouTube studio is super sticker or super chat. Um, it's in your studio chat. Yeah. All right. So it might not be unlocked for me yet. Huh? Bummer. That's a bummer. Yeah, so that wants me to buy them. Huh. Okay, yeah, Steve got it. Okay, Steve got a third option. So, all right, I don't have that option yet. All right. Sorry. I was going to I was going to try to throw out some memberships uh this time. He got a third option for membership gifting. I don't. Oh, I wonder if I just have to refresh it because I, I don't normally refresh this page very often. So let's let's see if that fixes it. Uh, oh, hey, uh, Andreas beat me to it. Andreas Grundler with five memberships. Thank you very much. Network Guy got one. Matthew Despaugh got one. Chris Young got one. Jordy T got one. And Ned Bingham got one. Let's see if that unlocked it. Nope. Nope. I don't have it yet. Boo hiss. Um... So, yeah, it, it it's unlocked for some channels. I guess it's not 100% there. Uh, but, yeah, okay. Well, I guess we'll have to try it next uh, next week. Sorry. Um, yeah, you get, you get 10 per month is what it said, but I don't. Uh... Bummer. Sorry, guys. I, uh. Oh, well. Well, thanks, Andreas, for taking care of it. Appreciate it. Okay, so when we're looking at first-timers, if you're buying a printer, I want first-timers to know what spare parts they need. I wish I knew what spare parts that I needed when I was buying 3D printers. Heck, I wish I, I would know what spare parts I need when I buy printers now. Now. Because I really, really could use some help there because I just end up buying like one or two of everything. Right. Do I need, excuse me. Why did you just, okay. The cat just bit me. Uh, are you good? Don't bite me. Um, thank you. Uh, Oh, Hey, Steve dropped some memberships too. build on sound. Got one. Chris Catlett, Mark Penne, matrix tech. Uh, and thus, Ain't I, yeah, that's ain't the law, sure. Uh, anyways, yeah, cat, go. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. I appreciate it. Uh, Victoria decided she's gonna be sassy this morning. Thank you, Steve, and thank you, Andreas, for the memberships gifting. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, I, I wish I knew what spare parts to buy. So many companies will include spare parts, like Creality will give you nozzles, um, but they also give you. The stupid needles that destroy nozzles. Because people don't understand that steel is harder than brass. Like, intrinsically, you know it, but it doesn't click when you're doing this. It, it doesn't click. And uh, that's kind of a pain in the butt. I, I wish it did. I wish it clicked. Because 
it's kind of a pain. It's kind of a pain. Um, and, and as Mike from Never, Never Let the Machines Win says, I still have a box of spare parts for printers that I didn't need to use before I retired the printer. Freaking same. I have a pile of spare parts for the bamboo because it's one of the few machines in our shop that isn't standardized on at least some basic system. I've got spare nozzles. I've got cutters. I've got wipers. I've got, heck, I have an entire AMS first stage feeder. Do I need it? I have no clue. Now, I know eventually an AMS is going to need a new first stage, but could I have just save that money and buy it when I need it? I don't know. I don't know. Like, as a business owner, I understand that, okay, I'm going to need to replace an AMS first stage feeder at some point. But does an average consumer know that? The answer is no. They don't know that. They don't know what spare parts to buy. And when they see manufacturer recommendations for spare parts to buy, a lot of people say, well, that's just because they want to make more money. That's not because I actually need it. And in some cases, that's true. In other cases, it's not. So what parts do I need and why? I would say you need an entire hot end, right? Just have a spare hot end because it is often easier to just replace the entire hot end and deal with the nozzle clog outside of the printer than it is to deal with the nozzle clog inside of the printer where you don't have a lot of space to work on a blow torch or even a butane torch and a bench vise will get you most of what you need to do to clear out a nozzle. And like as Winslow Joy said, they now have a cache of E3D V6 nozzles, heaters, and thermistors gathering dust since they moved to Revo. I too have a box full of V6 parts and I've almost never needed to use them. <laughs> it's, it's kind of hilarious because they just work. I bought all these parts thinking I'm going to need it. 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 And I don't. And it's like, I feel kind of crappy that I've spent all that money without a use for it. Now, I'm glad to support E3D. They're great. And in fact, we toured their facility. There will be a video coming. It's going to be a couple of months at this point. Um, we move into the X1 Plus firmware next week. And then the video that a lot of people have been asking for, or not, not next week, in two weeks. Uh, and then the video everybody's been asking for two weeks after that. Um, and while you could sell those spare parts, I would never buy spare parts from somebody else unless I knew that person personally. There is no chance that I am buying a random box of printer spare parts because I know that in my spare parts, but I have both used and unused parts. Um, and you're not going to get much of the value back out of it. Personally, I would go and donate them to a local makerspace that could absolutely use it instead. So, yeah. Old Salty says, in my case, I'm only home for a few months at a time. Uh, if, if the name didn't tell you, he, he goes out on boats. Uh, so if I have a part break, I need it sooner rather than later. So I often have more spare parts than I need. And for your use case, I totally agree. Have more spare parts than you need because you don't want to be stuck having to wait days, weeks, or months in some cases to get a machine back online. And so for you, Salty, you would probably run your hobby more as a business when it comes to having spare parts where I just have spare everything. I have a spare Prusa motherboard. I have spare Prusa hot ends. I have spare rails. I have spare screens, although I don't have spare screens anymore. I need to order a new one. 
I have a bunch of spare parts for Prusha's. That's what I have because it's the machines that we have a lot of. Will I stock spare parts for the Chidi? I don't know. I don't really know what spare parts I can buy for it other than hot ends. Um, but, you know, I have spare parts of the Ambu. I should probably have a uh, a bamboo uh, X-axis in stock, but I don't want to spend $90 until I absolutely need it. But of course, there is the issue of if they discontinue it, you're screwed. Your machine will no longer work. But that is kind of the uh, the deal with open source. Those parts are always accessible because, oh yeah, it's a common off-the-shelf solution. Old Salty says, when you need a part, a spare part is worth its weight in gold. It's like having a tool you only ever need it once in a blue moon. But when you need it, you're very happy to have it. What is a tool that I need once in a blue moon and I'm very happy to have it when I need it? Probably my breaker bar. It's not expensive. I have a relatively cheap, uh, relatively cheap breaker bar. I think it's even a Harbor Freight special. But when you need a breaker bar, you need a breaker bar, right? I mean, yeah, you can just go get a piece of pipe and build a cheater bar yourself, but having a dedicated breaker bar is really nice to have. Um, nozzles. I often don't need nozzles, but when I need one, it's nice to have. Um, not all of our machines are standardized on diamond nozzles yet. Uh, it will be the case, but I don't want to switch nozzles until it's immediately time for me to switch nozzles. You know what I mean? So, uh, networking guy, a pulley puller. Yes, a pulley puller. That is absolutely a tool that you only need it when you need it. And if you don't have it when you need it, you're using two hammers and two pry bars pretty much to do the same thing as a pulley puller. Uh, yeah. And you're probably going to break things at the same time. So Winslow Joy says, in my case, the V6 bears will go to my future son-in-law's father since he got a Prusa Mini for the holidays. Yeah. See, there you go. You can pass it along as long as you know who it's going to. Old Saudi says it's a motorcycle lift for him. Yeah, I have a I have a nice high lift car jack because uh, I do my own car maintenance, which for me is mostly topping up oil, but I don't need to lift up my car to do that. When I do decide to change out the oil filter, uh, it is nice to have a jack to get under the car uh, and not Harbor Freight jack stands because I'm not trying to die. Uh, <laughs> Networking guy says the induction heater has saved his life. I cannot afford those, those uh, handheld induction heaters are so nice, but my God, they're expensive. That would be a cool project we should do here on the channel is build a handheld induction heater. That would be cool. Uh, maybe we should, uh, maybe we should do that. Maybe we should do that. Fotus is here. Hey, Fotus, how you doing, buddy? But yeah, having, having that knowledge, man, that knowledge of what you need and why. Dude, I wish I still had, I wish I had that. I don't know what freaking spare parts that I need, so I just buy a bunch. It's irresponsible in terms of financial spending, but if you need it, you need it, right? If you need it, you need it. So obviously there's been some change between old school and new school, right? Old school, you couldn't just go buy a printer from a shelf. You were building it from a kit. And if you were lucky, it was more than just a bill of materials that you had to then go and find 
tons of stuff yourself, right? You know, having to self-source a 3D printer is way harder than you think. Anyone that's ever had to build a Voron from scratch, and that's not like going to AliExpress and finding a seller that sells all the hardware in one kit. Having to buy the hardware in, in larger kits and then break it up, dude, it sucks. It sucks. Um, it reminds me that I wanted to build my Voron with nothing but stainless hardware. I don't think uh, that's going to be a thing because it's a pain in the ass to do. But it's like... Mm, I would really look at building a kit. I like it because I find it cathartic and very... Uh, it, it's like going to therapy for a few hours, you know? You just kind of... You're in it. You're, 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 you're in it. And, uh, I kind of want to do that. I like building kits. It, it, it's very therapeutic for me. Um, and while I don't, and as photo says, who's got time for that? I don't have time for that. I have many other things I should be doing with my time, but every now and then I do like to sit down and do it. I mean, it's why I'm building a Voron on stream, um, because I enjoy the kit build, but it is a pain in the ass sometimes. It is a pain in the ass because I do just want to get and print things, but I also just need to make it, you know? I think the kit build is good for a first timer because it does let you understand how a printer works. And if you don't understand how a printer works, then your ability to service it is, is not there. Prusa makes a great kit legitimately the best manual I've ever used. The Voron manual is okay. It's okay. It, the whole LDO needing an addendum and it doesn't just have its own manual that is included with the kit is kind of weird. I'm going to talk with Jason about it because I would prefer to see LDO provide a full manual, not just an addendum, but a full manual. Even if they just insert their addendums where it matters into a Voron manual and allow you to print it out, that is important. I understand that LDO might not want to print out the entire manual because that adds a lot of weight to the box, but yeah, I, I, I don't think that people would have an issue printing it out at home if they needed it. Um, I would just like to see it because, yeah, that part of that build is something that you will hold with you. I used to have a Prusa manual right over here. It sits in my backpack now because often uh, we need to help people with their printers. And if I could just reference a Prusa manual, it's pretty easy to figure it out. Winslow Joyce says that, that they regret getting their XL5 tool head fully assembled. Eh, for 500 bucks, honestly, when you look at the time that I spent on mine, yeah, uh, definitely you could, uh, you could save money by, by buying it fully assembled, but it is fun to build it. Thomas asked me if I'm still grumpy about D's nut bars. Uh, I'm not grumpy about it. In fact, uh, Zerno, who's in the chat, sent me some nut bars. Uh, so we will be eating those this Wednesday when we continue our build uh of the voron so that everyone can laugh at me for not knowing what the heck a nut bar is uh so yeah uh, mike never looked machines when said he saved a 500 bucks i saved the 500 bucks too uh and 
I think I think actually those streams have actually done pretty well, so I I think we did okay on that. Um but yeah, right? Building it from a kit means you know the ins and outs. And if you don't know the ins and outs, I want the printer start guide, right, to kind of tell you what things are, label things and tell you uh what they are. Because again, if you don't know what a hot end is. Yeah, hot end is hot. There's a shirt somewhere in this house with hot end is hot on it because people like to make fun of me. Um, if there is something like that with a printer, I have much more faith in that printer being usable to average individuals. If there isn't something like that, then I feel that the individual will end up buying parts that they don't need because they don't know what they need. So a basic education on machines is a big deal, at least to me. But I also say this for cars, right? I, I want people to know how to change a tire, how to change their own oil. And so maybe we need the Chris fix of 3D printing, right? Hey guys, 3D Musketeers here. Is, is, is that how I'm supposed to start my videos when we're doing education content? Because it's going to change right but if you have a gen 1 prusa mark 3 this is how you change the bearings on it maybe that's a video maybe it's not i i don't i don't know obviously people like chris fix have made a business doing youtube on making videos for people that don't know what the heck they're doing so maybe there is a business case there i, I don't know this industry, though, because it was kind of founded upon open source and the idea that I can get pretty much everything for free or direct from manufacturers rather than having to buy it through somebody else means that monetizing it can be difficult. And having to pay for education is just not something that people do. They want it for free. Oh, well, you can pay 50 bucks. And watch this, you know, three hour long class on how to do all basic 3D printer maintenance. Or you can spend 12 hours digging through YouTube videos to find the one thing that you need. A lot of people are going to take the 12 hour time spend rather than the $50 monetary spend. And to be quite frank, um, ad revenue doesn't, doesn't pay the bills until you get really big. We're almost at 40,000. It's still not paying the bills. Uh, now we have an editor, so that's a little bit different. We have we have expenses, but um, there there are some things to be aware of if you are looking to start that, that content thing. I would love to see more accessible education um, and a desire to learn it. Because if we don't desire to learn that education, we are bound to make the same mistakes over and over and over again. Because if you don't learn from history... You are bound to repeat it. That's fact. If you don't learn from your mistakes, you're bound to repeat them. But if you don't learn how to service your printer, you are bound to improperly service your printer again in the future. It's why we do Print Fix Friday, because it is designed to help you learn rather than tell you how to do things. It's more important to me that you learn to do it rather than I tell you what to do. As Matt Despaw says, the Ender 3 manual is pretty much useless other than helping you assemble it. Yeah, and I think it's just 
find hole, put screw in, right? They're very, very simple manuals. Now, an Ender is relatively simple to build, but you need a better manual for a beginner. What happens is then they go to Reddit. They don't search for anything. They ask questions. People get pissed off. They become toxic because all these newbies aren't searching. What we need instead is a better area for education. If it is something that you want to help me out on, email me, youtube at 3dmusketeers.com. If you have ideas that could help build out this education system, I'm going to do it. We are going to build an education platform this year. It is happening. Because 3D printers are becoming a commodity. And if we don't properly educate people that want to be educated, then we are bound as a hobby to fail. We are bound to fall into toxicity way more often than we probably should. Toxicity is already a huge problem in this industry. We have dozens of screenshots in our Discord of people being toxic to others on Facebook groups, on Reddit, because they don't know what they're searching for, and clearly they're the problem. Well, no. I want to see more of this. So if you want to be involved or you have ideas, email me youtube at 3dmusketeers.com. I want to see more content and I'm going to be one of the people that do it. That you can bet. Because education is the most important thing that we have. 3D printers are great, but if we don't know how to run them and all we're doing is just click print go, you don't learn what you're doing and why. And if you don't search for that material, that's fine. If you don't want to learn it, that's fine. But I think a lot of people that are getting into this industry would absolutely spend money or minimally at least spend time on good videos that know and can teach you how to work on your machine. If you want to help, you know how to reach me. Mike Lingard says, I almost gave up on my first printer because I was having layer shifts and realized I had a loose belt. It's one of those things, man. You could be chasing a dragon of all these other problems, and it could be as simple as, oh yeah, it's a belt. Yeah. Then his old salty says, there's no need for toxicity. If you don't want to help someone, don't say anything. No need to bash someone because they asked a question. It's what it's it's what your it's what your parental guardians or you know legal guardians told you. If you ain't got anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Shut your dang mouth if you ain't gonna be nice about it. Simon Snow says I would build a Voron for scratch and sore the part over time, but I, I uh, but would not know where to start that he missed tinkering with his. M his Ender 5 as he has a Bamboo P1S now. And yeah, bamboos often do just work. But when your bamboo breaks and you don't know anything about servicing a machine or understanding basic printer maintenance, you're going to have a bad time. you have a real bad time. Masses, I'm grateful that I got a printer that hundreds have had uh, slash had because as a new printer, it saves me time from asking questions and I can just look on a specific issue and find answers. But here's where the other issue comes in is that sometimes bad advice is given. And as Mike from Never Let Machines wins, says, are you ready to be wrong at every time you post a video? 
I am ready to be wrong and I will refilm if I am wrong. But I've been servicing printers for over a decade. I don't often get things that wrong, right? If I do get things wrong, it's like reminding you to like the video because there's 98 people here and only 35 likes. I get that wrong. Um, but if I don't know something, like let's say we're filming for the education, we, we're doing something we're not 100% sure. Well, I have an entire series called Print Fix Friday that I can take that bit that I'm not sure of, put it into Print Fix Friday, and let the community tell me if I'm right or wrong. That's the great thing about feedback. That's what I love. It is okay with being wrong, but you have to be willing to correct. If you're not willing to correct, none of it matters. Period. None of it matters. Yes, my dear. What is wrong? Why why are you why are you going crazy today? Huh? Leave a like for the cat. Come on. It's okay. Come on. I know. I know. I know. It's so hard being you. You have such a hard life. Nobody cares about you. Nobody leaves a like on the video just for the cat. Uh, <laughs> um, Build on Sound says, I had issues with layer shifts and couldn't figure out why. And by chance, Grant's video about V-Wheels was mentioned in one of his live streams. Guess what it was? Thanks, Grant. Yeah, V-Wheels can matter. Belt tension can matter. Heck, pulleys. Uh, your grub screws on your pulleys can matter. There's so many things that can matter. Um, and it's like, man, it's... It's tough because without photos, knowing what is exactly wrong with your machine is harder than you might think. Having some of that knowledge would vastly increase the success rate for most people with their 3D printers. It's, uh, it's kind of depressing how we've gotten as an industry. And I'm told this is just the normal thing for communities like this where they will just actively become toxic and it will take a few people who are willing to speak up to break that toxicity. I don't, uh, I don't know. As Allison Ford says, I think it is you, I think it is, you will be told you're wrong rather than when you actually are. Yeah. We get told we're wrong a lot in videos, and I know I'm not wrong. Uh, sometimes I am wrong, right? Um, like on the Elegoo, there was a Neptune 4 where the bolt was dragging into something. I'm like, I don't know what that's dragging into. I totally forgot the Neptune 4 has a, uh, has a big fan on the back of it. And commenters pointed that out, and I made a correction in the next video, right? And I, I think we pinned the I think we pinned the first person that mentioned it as well. Um, now it was the same deal. It was just hey, flip the bolt over and it works. But I'm not I'm not like uh, I don't I'm not all knowing. I might have a pretty good knowledge, but I'm I have to call myself an expert on the internet because otherwise, what the hell do you call yourself? But I don't call myself an expert in person because I'm not. I'm always learning. An expert has every bit of knowledge that could ever exist 
But an expert also recognizes that if they're not constantly trying to learn, then they're falling behind. Knowledge is what separates us from, well, pure chaos. Astro Eliminate says, hey, if I were to start again, I would definitely build the printer from parts like a Voron or something like that. Because having something breaking and not knowing what proprietary printer is not okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Do you do you want to teach a class, Victoria? Do you want to teach a class? Do you want to come here and teach a class? Huh? What would you teach the class on? How to be a piece of crap and, and get in the way during live streams? Do you want to teach a class on how to be a chonk? Do you want to teach a class on how to be just just amazing? You, you could teach a class on how to be amazing. How to be amazing, taught by Victoria. It's just an hour-long video of her sleeping. <laughs> um, you know, Chris says there's more. The more you know, the more you know that you don't know. Amen to that, brother. Amen to that. Cindy L says, I'm here late, but this topic speaks to my soul. I've been printing for only a year and have made great strides because I'm a master's level research librarian. That is a skill set that I would never think would have value in 3D printing. But damn it, that's probably one of the most useful skill sets you could have. Having a master's level in research librarian is quite possibly the best thing that you could come into anything with. I would have never, oh my God. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I should go take a class on, on, on research librarian. I wonder if there's like a community college I could take a class at. That would be brilliant. That would be brilliant. Because you have a better knowledge of how to search for things. And if I could, or anybody could accurately talk you through how to search for things using the, the skills from becoming a research librarian, that's brilliant. Damn it. I don't want to go back to school. <laughs> I don't want to go back to school. Oh, man. That's... That's kind of brilliant. Huh. I dig the hell out of that. That's awesome. Wouldn't that be more of a specialist like what I was talking about? Yeah, but 3D printing specialist, I, I don't know. It doesn't have the same ring. It doesn't have the same ring. Sydney says, uh, continues, that they stupidly purchased an Ender 3 to Core XY conversion. Been pulling, uh, been building since August. It's finally built. Is it printing? No, because I can't get Clipper to work on moving a Euclid. Yeah, I wouldn't even know where to help. Um, Would not even know where to help because I don't know Clipper at all. Allison says that I apparently knew that her last job was an information officer. Nope, had no clue. And yeah, literally knowing the right question to ask is the thing that I wish I knew. But I don't. I don't know the right questions to ask. And I probably never will. It's part of the deal. <laughs> Zerner says, go back to school. Maybe you could apply for some grants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Santola Campers asking about my hair, saying long hair CEOs are cool. Uh, I have a $6,100 haircut, basically, because we shaved my head for uh, the Sanjay Mortimer Foundation at Smurf 
in Oxford in the UK and raised over 6,000 US dollars by shaving my head. So I have short hair now. Uh, I don't know what we're planning on to do with the hair, but or like, like how we're going to style it. I just have to let it grow in a little bit. So as Mike says, syntax is important. That's right. Syntax is very important here. And cat. Um, but yeah, yeah, we raised a bunch of money for the Sanjay Mortimer Foundation, and I am incredibly happy to be able to do it. Uh, it was so awesome. It was so awesome. But yeah, I think that that's the difference between old school and new school. Old school, if you didn't have the knowledge or you weren't actively seeking the knowledge, you could not build a 3D printer. It was not possible. It was not possible to do it. You had to have the knowledge. And if you didn't have the knowledge, you'd certainly have by the time you were done because you took on a task that you couldn't do. Like, I didn't have the knowledge of how to build a hot end. So I went, this is going to uh, date it a bit. I went to the Google Plus 3D printing group because that was the biggest group at the time. And I spoke with the one and only Joe Prusha, who at the time didn't have a company. Prusha Research was not founded back then. He was a guy building printers. And uh, it's kind of cool because like now he's someone that a lot of people look up to as kind of the father of th of like modern consumer printing. Adrian Boyer's the godfather, but Joe Prusha certainly has a lot involved as well. And he walked me through step by step on how to do it. Because, you know, it was his design that I was building. It's kind of cool. You don't get that level of help anymore. And that's what happens when the groups expand. So, yeah. Nowadays, you don't have to have knowledge of how to build a hot end. You don't have to have knowledge of, you know, what size holes to drill so that the rails fit in snugly. Because guess what? It's all done for you. You, all you have to do is know the basic software, which there's pretty decent tutorials on already. And you have to know basic maintenance, which a lot of people don't know. I think if we can solve the basic maintenance problem, we solve some of the major problems that we have in this industry, especially when it comes to toxicity. The certain groups are always going to be toxic. There's nothing that we can do about it. And unless they're properly moderated, the toxicity will continue to grow until the community itself says, screw you guys, we're going home. It was, uh, it was, it was a different time back in the day where you were required to understand things a little bit better than you are now. Does that mean that the knowledge that I have from back then is transferable to today? Not necessarily. There are a lot of reasons that that is not transferable anymore. But as we've gone through the time, I have learned more. I've certainly forgotten way more than I've ever learned. So 
I want to always be learning. It's why we started Print Fix Friday was to make sure that I am continually challenging myself so that I'm able to succeed and help others. Uh, Jason Haddock is an old school guy too, uh, saying, remember when the nozzles just drilled into a heat block? I do. I do. And he said, when we were using resistors to eat the hot end, dude, I remember wrapping my own hot end with nichrome wire and then using that fiberglass ceramic paint stuff that was like likely crazy toxin carcinogenic, but I really wanted to use a 3D printer. How about tuning your bang bang loops? Because PID wasn't a thing and we had to tune our on off cycles so that the printer would get close to the right temperature. Right? Like, dude, it was so freaking jank. The stuff that we did back, I am surprised so many of us that built old school printers are still alive because of how dumb some of these builds were and how dangerous some of these builds legitimately were. It was so much more involved, but it required you to understand. These new printers don't. Hell, these new printers don't even require you to know the slicers. And if we look at, I, I, I have to pick on bamboo here because they're the only ones that have done it. If we look at Bamboo's maker world, you don't even have to know how to use the slicer. You can literally print directly from maker world. Now, regardless of my feelings of that, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of that. But I, I look at it and say, man, that is getting to a point where you just don't have to think. Is that a good thing? I don't know. I don't know. Jason Haddock says that his uh, Mendel was running at 120 mils a second. Everyone was in awe. I want to point out to everyone that is reading that saying that's not that fast. Knowing that he was not using input shaper because it didn't exist. He was not running off the shelf stepper drivers because, oh yeah, those didn't exist. He was running an 8-bit board at best because that's all that we had. And they was running really ugly stepper motors with old belts, with bad bearings on a printer that was not accurate. Like, you might as well have been breaking the speed of light. We were happy to have our printers printing at like 25 millimeters a second. That was awesome. An inch per second, that was awesome. But things are different now. And his build on sound says... Hi, my name is Grant, and we're going to build a 3D printer today. Welcome to Jackass. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's pretty much what it was. I do want to build the Darwin Evo so bad, but at the same time, I also want to build a regular Darwin. I just feel like a regular Darwin is kind of... Uh... Yeah. Just not worth the build anymore. Uh, Zerno says, Bamboo Maker World was definitely not the first to allow bypassing using a slicer. Apparently, Toy Box has been doing it for some time. There could be others too. Well, Bamboo's the one that I'm aware of. So thank you for, for correcting me on that. Will I remember to say that in videos? I probably won't. Uh, but Bamboo's Maker Road is the largest, um, you know, that exists. Uh, Jason says he wants to build a Darwin. I want to build the Darwin Evo because uh, I do think that is super, super cool because, you know, Darwin Evo, uh, it was a really cool looking build. <laughs> So, yeah. 
it's interesting. We, we are designing this to be a you don't think, but you get part. And a lot of us old schoolers see see the inherent flaws in that, right? What are the inherent flaws? Try to fix a brand new car. Go ahead and buy a brand new 2024 model year car and try to fix it. You probably can't. It is so interconnected that even changing the oil might require resetting a code which might require a specialized tool that is hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. I drive a 22-year-old car. I can change the oil in 15 minutes. It is simple. It's And it's documented in the user manual for the car. It tells you how to change your own oil. Heck, newer cars don't even come with spare tires anymore. It's an option that you... So most people don't even know how to change a tire. And if that's where we're moving for cars, and people love it. People love that their cars can drive for them. I don't know if I 100% trust it. But people love it because it means that they don't have to think. Things just happen. John Olson says, EV, what's an oil change? Uh, you need it for your differentials and your transmissions if you're not running direct drive. Uh, but you definitely need it for your diffs. Definitely. Um, so make sure you, you you do that. Teslas do still have oil that needs to be changed. It's just not in the engines, for reference. There is There is this ideology that if it just works, why should I know how to fix it? And... Uh, I don't believe in it. We're losing the average everyday mechanic. Right? I've got a mechanic that I use when when it is beyond my knowledge base or it's beyond my give a damn base. Like when my radiator fan went out and I called my mechanic saying, hey, you got any fans? He's like, no, but if you buy it and bring it to me, I will change your radiator fans, both of them, for 50 bucks plus the parts and he wants to keep the old fans. 50 bucks. That's it? I'm not even going to bother trying. I could do it. But we need to maintain those everyday mechanic skills on machines that aren't easily serviced. Remember, these machines are so cheap that if you have to send in your printer for service or go to a or go to a shop, like if we become certified to service 3D printers or of a certain brand, you're going to pay a maintenance contract or you're going to pay me to fix it by the hour. And a lot of times, the cost of paying me to fix your printer would well overrun the cost of just buying a new printer, Means it, meaning it gets thrown away. And I don't want to see that. I don't want to see a, a printer get totaled, if you will, because I don't know how to fix it and it's too expensive to fix it. So I'll just buy another one. But that is absolutely where we are moving for manufacturing. This is going to be next week's video topic uh, or next week's podcast topic. It's a great topic. And I don't want to get into it too far. But it does mean that we're kind of getting rid of the average mechanic. Um, like, here's a great example. The lady that I helped yesterday, had she bought the printer herself and not taken any time in learning it herself, I would have charged her. 
and I would have charged her close to close to four hundred dollars for all the time that I was there. Um, it was a P1P. They're like six hundred dollar printers. Why would you spend four hundred dollars to fix a printer when you could just buy a new one? Now her use case was a little bit different. I did not charge her a dime. Um, her her particular case was a little bit different. I didn't charge anything for my time. Sometimes I believe that giving back is more important and helping others is more important. So take that into account. But yeah, as Mike has said, paying three hours, $75 an hour to repair a $200 printer makes no sense. It doesn't. And it never has. And it never will. I've had eight phone calls just this past week to try to fix enders. And I tell them it's not worth it. I will happily fix your printer. It's a $75 bench fee and is $75 an hour. If I can do it on camera and we currently have about a three-month wait until I can get it on camera. Unless I do a specific live stream just for it. And if it takes me more than two hours, you might as well just buy a new printer. It sucks. But it's where we're moving. Also, Karen is here. Hi, Karen. Zombie's here. Hi, zombie. Uh, friends of mine. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. When I look at my industrial printer, we have a Z Corp 650 or a ProJet 660 Pro. $70,000 printer has a $10,000 a year maintenance plan. $9,900, technically what it is. That includes parts and labor. So that is parts and labor for the printer. Someone comes out, does all the work, 10 grand a year, basically. You can't do that with a consumer grade printer, right? We look at Let's not beat around the bush. Bamboos could be decent for businesses. Could be. Let's use Voron. I I I don't want to I don't want to go down the bamboo path. Let's use Voron. Let's say you can buy a Voron off the shelf, and I offered some sort of maintenance plan. A Voron off the shelf is probably going to cost around three grand, right? All in, Voron's probably going to run you about three grand, maybe four for a decent, you know, for like a bigger V two point four. So let's call it four grand for a big V two point four. A maintenance package on that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't charge less than $2,500 a year for it. Not at all. Uh, because there's so much, there's so much time involved in diagnosing and maintaining a printer that you have to be able to make sure that you can win on most of them. But at the same time, at $2,500, I'm probably also doing a swap system where you bring me your old printer that's broken, I give you a new one, I fix your old one, and then I swap them back. So it's a swap system. Formlabs does this. Uh, Formlabs, I, I don't know what they charge for. And now I, if someone can figure out what Formlabs charges, that'd be really awesome. I, I'd be curious. But Formlabs, you know, you're looking at five grand for a resin printer, five grand plus for a resin printer. Uh, you know, so if it's $1,000 a year plus shipping both ways, a business would be happy to pay that just to make sure their machine is running all the time. A consumer? No, they're buying the $200 Elegoo resin printer that when it breaks, they get rid of it. As David says, higher end printers make sense, but once they are below about 1500 bucks, they are not worth it to repair at a shop. If you learn to repair it yourself, it's worth it. But if you have to go to a shop, and I agree, if it's if it's a printer that's under 1500 bucks and you have to bring it to a shop to repair it, it's probably not worth it. It'd be better to learn or call a shop, 
maybe get some help over the phone or pay the bench fee, pay the bench fee, get told what the problem is, and then go learn to fix it yourself. I don't know, guys. I wish I wish I had a better understanding of maintenance. And I think I, I wish that on a lot of newbies today because I don't think they do. And while machines will sometimes remind you that they need maintenance, if you don't know how to perform that maintenance or you don't perform it correctly, not performing maintenance correctly is often worse than not performing it at all. It's a good thing to think about, and I think we should talk about it more next week. Um, specifically on the commodity, you know, is a printer garbage or is it, you know, is it time to get rid of it? Put it out to pasture, if you will. Um, yeah. It's rough. I would like to see it become part of buying a printer that it comes with knowledge that you can read, that you can learn. But until then, printers are commodities and we'll see what happens. Um, we'll see. We will see. I'd love to know your guys' thoughts in those comments. Like the video if you haven't. Subscribe if you haven't. Be great to grow this community. Uh, we are almost at 40,000 subscribers, which is pretty sweet. Thank you guys for being a part of this awesome community. And uh, yeah, unless there's too much else in the comments to talk about, I think we might be calling this episode here relatively soon. So just so you're aware. Uh, Mr. Emma says, okay, 3D Musketeers, you said it. So I have a Mark II to Mark 2.5 upgrade. I'll send that to you for a live video of the upgrade. That must include clipping important wires. <laughs> making fun of me, man. Making fun of me. Uh, making fun of me. Mike from that Machines Win says, probably unwise to run a business using inspired printers. Well, I don't know about that. If I was rebuilding my business today and I had the knowledge that I currently have, I would probably build it with SV06 pluses. Um, then those are obviously inspired by um, Prusa. So... You know, those machines are pretty good to use. So, uh, bit on sunset printer swap sounds like a good idea. Not happy with your printer, swap it with someone who does want it for a printer they don't want reduced reuse cycle. Um, printer swap program being if you have a printer, you're paying for, uh, for the year, uh, and you have a problem, it gets sent in for repair, you get another printer so you don't have downtime. Um, that is something that you do. And then when your printer is fixed, sometimes it's a reship. Other times you just keep that, that new printer and they're it's often refurbished, right? So then your refurbished printer becomes the one that goes out when somebody else has a problem. It, it depends on how companies do it. George Y says, wait, we can send you our printers for a live video upgrade from Mark 3S to a Mark 4. You can. Um, I, I have to charge for my time, but yes, you can. Um, I am trying to get Prusa to, uh, do a video for, uh, like work with us on a video for that. Cause I have four Prusas behind me. It'd be really cool to have a Mark three, a Mark 3.5, Mark 3.9 and a Mark four. 
but all of them were upgraded from the Mark III and be able to compare them side by side. I think it would be for a cool uh, video. So one of those two great wire clipping goes wild. You guys are so mean to me. Uh, anyways. Project in Dad's Garage said, if you weren't doing it for a living, what kind of printers would you want to spend money on that isn't coming back to you? Hmm. Probably Sobel, SV06, SV06 Plus. Uh, they're cheap enough that, you know, I can try it. If I don't like it, I didn't spend a ton of money. I'm not out a ton of money. I like the Prusa build, obviously. Um, Bamboo is going to be a tough one to really look away from if I'm just a hobbyist, right? Their out-of-box experience is probably one of the best in the community right now. Um, Jeff says sounds a little fanboyish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like I like what I like because they work and they make me money. Uh, so yeah. I think Sobel. I think Sobel might be the one. I really like the Chidi X Plus series, but they're expensive, right? The S the, uh, the X Plus three was what seven hundred, and the uh, X Max three is like a like a grand. If you have the budget, those machines are good. Um, and if you're not wanting to be in the bamboo ecosystem, I think that that's a phenomenal, um, I, I think that's a phenomenal option, uh, there as well. Dom's asking what's with the hair sticking up. Uh, it's because of the, it's because of the headphones. If I just moved the headphones, hair doesn't really stick up much anymore. Yeah, the hair's kind of weird right now. Slept like crap. So, oh well. All right, we're calling it here, guys. Enjoy the rest of your day. Like the video, subscribe if you haven't. We'll see you on Wednesday where we're going to continue the Voron build. And if you are looking for something else to do, in the description is Steve Build's latest live stream, which he is starting relatively soon. So go check out Steve Build's links are in that description down below. Again, subscribe, channel memberships, Patreon, PayPal, YouTube channel members, and all of that. If you do want to support the efforts that we do here, you can support for very little money a month. And at the $10 tier higher, you get to come hang out in our private Discord where as soon as I'm done with this, I'll be over in there. So I will see you guys in the next one. Stay safe out there. Don't forget to call your loved ones. And as always, keep making awesome. 171. Have a good one.